0: or starting a successful business, or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Dream Bigger podcast. If you're new here, I'm your host Sif, and I am so happy to have you here. This week's episode is a very exciting one. It is with someone you guys probably already know because she is an absolute social media superstar. And of course, I am talking about none other than Sarah Nicole Landry, also known as the bird's papaya. Sarah is absolutely incredible. She is so inspirational. She is someone who is really a voice for I would say bodies of all size. I've learned so much from her in this episode because, you know, we go into everything from her weight loss journey to kind of finding peace with her body to finding body neutrality the and the concept of body neutrality, which is that, you know, our bodies are just one part of our existence and probably like the least interesting part about us. And, you know, why do we place so much emphasis and, you know, think that, looking a certain way is the panacea and the the you know solve for all our problems it's just not like that and we get into all of that and we get into actionable steps to finding self love you know she's a big proponent of that like really really loving yourself and putting that relationship first and just giving that relationship so much importance because we can't really show up in other relationships if we have a shitty relationship with ourselves like we can't show up as our best selves and with our partners with our parents with our kids like whatever that is that looks like for you so just how important it is to show up and love yourself and her actionable steps and i think that you know the way she talks about it is really different. It's really interesting. And I think that everyone will take a lot of value out of it. And then, you know, we talk about her postpartum journey and the toxic narrative around the postpartum bounce back that we're so used to seeing as women. So it's a really interesting episode. I think you guys will absolutely love it. She is authentic. She is so knowledgeable. She is so eloquent. And I personally loved speaking to her. So I hope you guys absolutely adore her too. So before we get into the episode, let's dive into this week's hot tip. So this week's hot tip is a course that I actually talked about on last week's episode, and it is the Manifestation Babe Epically Aligned Workshop. So I did this workshop, you know, during that new year break that we had, like before the new year, whatever it is. And I thought it brought me a lot of value. So This course was specifically for like goal setting and manifesting goals for the new year and all of that. I don't think she offers it anymore, but I think that she has excellent, excellent courses. And I feel like, you know, if you are into spirituality or manifestation or really are looking to get into that realm of things, I think it'll bring you a lot of value. I feel like her method is both very logical And of course, like it's getting in alignment with the universe and your own spirit and all of that. So it brought me a lot of value because also, you know, she is someone who is a proponent of actually taking action. It's not that you just you manifest something by sitting on your couch like that's such bullshit. Anyway, so I love her stuff. Go check her out. Go sign up for one of her courses. It brought me a lot of value and I hope that it does the same for you. Okay, and then I have this week's review it says good content all the time. I enjoy the variety of guests that bring such useful information. The content is always leaving me with tools to better myself while educating me at the same time. I respect Sif so much as a businesswoman and very grateful for the knowledge she shares. Can't wait for more episodes. Um, Guys, reviews like this make my day. It makes my life so much brighter. And I love hearing what you guys are loving about the podcast. It helps me become a better interviewer, helps me bring on more guests that you like and talk, cover topics that are of interest to you. So please, 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 if this episode brings you value, take five seconds to just scroll down to the bottom of your Apple podcast app. You probably have it open right now. Hit the five-star rating thing, the five stars, and then leave me a review. I want to hear from you. With that, let's dive into this week's episode and say hello to Sarah Nicole Landry. So the first question I love to ask my guests is,
1: what was your big dream when you were growing up? Ooh, I love this question because it's so fascinating to go into like, I picture myself as like a six-year-old because I think that's when I started to really form those big types of thoughts. And I always thought that I would be on a stage somewhere. I thought I would be an actress or singer. I am trained in singing. I did phenomenal in drama. Phenomenal. I probably got like a B minus, but phenomenal (laughs) performance. Just the best. I was amazing. Um, In high school, did drama. Like I really leaned into that. So when I envisioned my life, I very much envisioned that I would be on some sort of a stage of some sort, which is fascinating because if I look at it now, I'm like, I am on a stage. You are not the stage that I thought it was going to be. It's not in the ways that I thought. I never thought that I would be a speaker or a podcaster or Instagram or a blogger in this way that I am now. So what's neat about it, I was dreaming of something that didn't exist So I saw myself doing something and it was hard for me because when I actually tried to get into like acting and singing, I had horrific stage fright for those particular things. Couldn't remember lines, struggled so much with like my voice shaking when I sang, even though I trained for like years and years, could not do it. And so it was like, I had that dream that had to push me into thinking I wanted to do that. And then the thing that worked out I love doing it. I love getting on a stage to talk. I, I think I do a pretty good job at that. I love podcasting. I love Instagramming. I love doing community stuff. So it's all the same shit, just a different recipe.
0: It's so interesting. I love asking this question because this it's like so similar. Mm. These stories where like people, when they were like little, they almost like knew what they wanted to be, but maybe it didn't. Pan out exactly that way, but it's like some form of that. And it's been really interesting to chat with people and like see that. So it's cool that, like, for you, you always wanted to be on stage and, you know, here you are. But you know what's funny? I wanted to be a singer all my life as well, like when I was little. Oh, yeah, that was my dream. looks like such a
1: glamorous life.
0: I know. I know. I mean, I, I don't know if it is in real life, but that was my dream. And I also took drama all throughout high school and it was mm-hmm. my thing.
1: So mm-hmm. it's funny. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I still love to kind of like remind myself and people who – feel like they didn't get like the career job of their dreams. A lot of times the things that we wanted to do as kids when we grew up, we found it in subtleties. Like as much as I thought yeah. I would be a singer, I love to sing in the shower. I love to sing along to musicals. I love to go on like a long car ride and like belt out the entire soundtrack of the Greatest Showman. Like I found my joy in doing it in a very different way than maybe I had envisioned. And there's so much to be said about not losing the joy in what you love doing to making it a career. Like a lot of us, you do find like joy in doing what you wanted to do as a full-time thing, but it doesn't come without a cost of like moments of, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. now I have to do this as opposed to, this is just what I love to do for fun. So I think there's a lot of cool parts of the things we wanted to be when we were little and how we found it in our adulthood, even in subtle ways.
0: I actually love that lesson. And I feel like it's one of those takeaways that like if something brings you joy, it doesn't necessarily have to be the thing you do for work. It yes. can just be something that brings you joy, you know, yes. like I that has loved- to be enough. Yes, exactly. Like I, after the singing phase, like literally my like high school and university, I thought I wanted to be a chef because I love to cook. I obviously didn't end up doing that as a career, but I love to do it just in my free time. And it brings me so much joy. So it's such a good takeaway. So Sarah, I want to know your story because I think Mm. that you have had such an incredible journey with where you are today. Like you documented this whole like weight loss journey, kind of pivoted, found yourself, So take me back a little bit. When did you even start thinking about weight loss?
1: So I have thought about weight loss my whole life. I was typically in either the largest of my friends or in the top two. I was very used to being the bigger girl of my friends. I leaned hard on having a good personality and I did well with that. I I made good friends. I mean, I had a boyfriend in high school. I think I very much felt like I should be so grateful and so thankful for these things because Mm -hmm. I you know, felt ashamed of my body. I felt, I went through puberty far before my friends did. I was tall before a lot of the other kids were. I was just like, I was in a very adult body at a very young age and I was curvy from a very young age. And then I was plus size in high school. And that was hard because you think it's hard for like people in plus size bodies finding clothes now go back like 20 years ago. And it was like embarrassing. I had to drive. It didn't I'm not exist. And like, I didn't even think about these things. I think I'm still like healing through a lot of that. And this is why I recognize so much. A lot of the problems that still exist in our world. But I was like dieting since I was 14 because I couldn't find clothes to fit. I was literally driving to the States with my parents to shop at stores that would carry a size 14 and up. So weight loss was always on my mind because weight loss was, you know, seemed to be this barrier between me and the rest of my life. But I went through a breakup with my high school boyfriend and I was just I had a I had a friend who had died in a car crash and just had this big like life revelation type of feeling where I just need to like life is short. I need to go after so much. And I ended up like basically rebounding and met somebody who was a few years older than me and was quite popular, athletic, all of these things. And just like threw myself into that relationship, got engaged at 18, got married at 19 and became the provider for our family at age 20 because he was still in school. I became pregnant at 20 and at 21 had my first daughter at 22, I got pregnant again, had my second daughter at 23 at 24. I became pregnant for the third time while living six hours away from friends and family and gave birth to my third child when I was 25. So, I mean, now I'm sitting at already carrying the weight that I've already carried. And now I have all this baby weight on me as well, quote unquote, baby weight, and I was struggling. I was struggling living away from family, struggling living away from support system, struggling feeling connection at all, struggling with being a mom. It wasn't what I thought it was. I hated these mom groups. I was just like annoyed by so much of it. And I was like really trying to find myself within it all. And so I moved back home and found my support system again, but found myself so ashamed to leave the house. I was well over 200 pounds and just like, I'm the problem. Like I am the problem in my entire life. I'm the reason I'm not being able to do things with my kids. I'm the reason that I can't wear all the clothes that I want to wear. I'm the reason that like my relationship is like crappy. And I just felt like all of that, the same things I felt like when I was 12, like I just want to fit in. So weight loss has obviously always been this like barrier for me. I'm like, if I could just lose the weight that I'm going to be so much better, everything's going to work out for me. And that's the message that everyone has sold their whole lives. If you want to take a look at it and we're told like, if you're thinner, you, you know, you're happier and you're more successful and all the stuff. So I just went like, if we're going to use the analogy, which I don't quite understand balls to the wall, I went balls to the wall with it, but I had no money. I'm a stay-at-home mom. We are already on like a very low income single family, like, budget. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to go after it. Download this app. I'm going to start working out every single day, no excuses. And I obviously lost weight very quickly because the app was telling me to eat what a toddler eats, like quite seriously, what my nine month old eats in a day, very, very small amounts of food. So of course I'm seeing the success and I'm working out in like my jeans because I can't afford anything else. And I'm getting validated like left, right, and center. People noticed about like 10, 20 pounds in by 40 pounds, it became like a big conversation. And at 42 pounds, I posted my first ever before and after, and it was my most liked photo within all of this. At that point, I had been a blogger for five or six years. So I had been seeking kind of this connection into community throughout this whole thing. And all of a sudden my entire life starts to click together because I'm losing weight. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm finding an Instagram following. People are connecting with me. They want to know my story. They want to hear my story. Are you kidding me? So a lot of excitement around this and slowly turning into an obsession. So I ended up losing over a 100 pounds. My story became news across the world because it was so rare to find somebody who just like did it on their own, without a program, without a diet, while being a stay-at-home mom. These like incredibly buzzworthy cells. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the reality of it is I had really disordered eating. I was terrified of food. I had no idea how to eat properly. My marriage was crumbling. And I had more anxiety and depression around my body than ever before. The first reason I wanted to lose weight was to be accepted into the world and to be able to live my life and to show up in my life, to do things with my kids, to not feel judgment so much from others. And all it did was like compartmentalize all of that into being like, if you're not thin, you have nothing. And also like everyone's watching you now, your whole body is all anybody's talking about. And now you're going through divorce. Everybody's talking about that too. All has to do with like, oh, because you lost weight. So like this weight loss thing was like, it was a lot and I wasn't okay. There was actually things that I, I don't even think I processed until quite a bit later. I lost feeling in my legs. I, uh, what? yeah, I lost fucking feeling in my legs, went to the doctor, went to like, went to the doctor. They sent me to Emerge. I call in crying to my second job. Like I've never called in sick. I'm terrified of losing a job when you're a single mom. That was terrifying. They send me to Emerge. Emerge sends me to a neurologist and they run all these scans. They stick needles in my legs. They sent electric shocks through my body to see why I'm losing feeling in my limbs. And essentially they're like, you're bone on bone. It's just from your weight loss. Try on crossing your legs. Not there might be a problem here. It was just genuinely your bone on bone. Go home. And I was just like, okay, so there's a lot of things like that that were happening. I had major stomach issues. I couldn't go to the bathroom anymore normally without laxatives. Oh my God. Uh, there's a lot of things like this. My health was in a massive decline. And when you look going back and like look at pictures from when I was going through that, almost all my pictures I've blurred the underneath of my eyes because I'm just like sunken and my skin is wrinkled. Like I've got really dark under eyes. It looked sickly and I was sick. I was going through a lot. I never formally got diagnosed with anything. So I remember just Finding one person's account, and they were talking about this like body acceptance. And she had this before and after photo, and she was talking about her weight loss and how at the end of her weight loss, she never really found happiness. You've never really found a self acceptance. Even if the world treated her a little bit better, she was like, there was like this realization that you've been the same person all along and that people are just treating you differently. And that comes with a lot of heaviness and a weight that is very different from the weight on your body. And so I just, remember feeling like that felt like a warm blanket. Like that felt like the most comfort I had felt in years and the most peace I had felt around a conversation in my body for years. And I made the audacious decision to actually lean into that and try and heal. I was very small at this point. I was a size zero. I mean, I'm five, eight, I was 114 pounds. I was struggling to eat a meal and I was still face tuning my body. Like just to, just to be real, I still did not yeah. think that I was thin enough and it was never going to be enough. And so, uh, through a whole like little years of going through this, I, I started to try and figure out how to break free from that whole narrative and how to find peace in my body or the closest thing to it and, uh, how to actually exist in a body and with food and in relationship with others. And essentially how can I just stop thinking about my body of my day. This is, this is a lot. So as soon as I did that, I had like 60,000 followers at the time I did that. So it was hard because almost everyone that followed me then does not follow me now. They, They, I had like a complete turnover, Yeah, a huge career shift in that regard, but was the most worthwhile thing I've ever done. Not only on a career sense, like my own sense. And I, I didn't know that so many other people would connect with the greater story of it all with these struggles, these like moments of shame that we feel these everyday thoughts and realities and going through that. So I just became very journalistic about my Mm -hmm. Instagram and less performative. And that's how I try and continue to show up. Hello, beautiful people. It's Renee Blewett and I am your host for the She Did That podcast. Have you ever wondered how your favorite women founders are building these beautiful brands and legacies? Whether you're an aspiring entrepreneur already on your journey or just someone who wants to learn from the best to ever do it. This is the podcast for you. Every week, I'll introduce you to powerhouse entrepreneurs, creatives, and innovators who are carving their own paths with love, resilience, and bold ambitions. Be sure to subscribe now so you don't miss a thing. Honestly,
0: I mean, there's so much I want to say here. I think first and foremost, I think that most women, especially if they grew up in the 90s and early 2000s, have had some variation of this experience that you have. Like, of course, like, you know, not everyone has gone through an eating disorder. Maybe some people have, but some pattern of disordered relationship with food, you know? Like, I know I have, like, I remember just doing extreme dieting when Mm -hmm. I was in high school, like just feeling, and because back then it was just also this lack of education. Everyone that yes. we saw in media, it was like way thin, like this Kate Moss, like just that real was the trend. thin look. Yeah. That was the trend. And it was like, I, I still, I, I could never look like that. That's just not
1: how I'm Or built. the hip bone popping. You wore the yes. pants really, really low in your underwear Oh my high. God. So yeah. the amount of lack of fat you had to have on your body to achieve that look, I mean- it was and a time. It, it was, it was a horrible
0: time. And that was like, it was just like the one body type. And it was yeah. always marketed as like, oh, like, you know, you look like that and it's the panacea, you know? And like mm. all your problems and all your worries are just supposed to go away mm. when you hit like a certain number on the scale or mm. look a certain way. And your story is so interesting because it's like a real life example. And like, you are actually like, you've stepped up and like shared it that like, okay, you can get there, but it's not actually what's marketed to you. you yeah. Know?
1: Yeah. That makes me like very happy that we can kind of have these conversations now. And I also think it's like a lot of generational healing. Everyone wants to blame their mothers, but let's be real. Our mothers were given the same sheep and different wolves clothing over and over again. They are also healing from this narrative that you have to be thin, you have to be this, you have to be that. And that was given to them by their mothers. And there is all of us kind of grew up with watching our parents go in and out of diets over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I mean, when I was in my weight loss, I used to like use this stat as like a way to like show up that I was like somehow superior. But like the fact that like 95% of diets fail, not only do they fail, but like people will gain more weight after participating in them. And I was like, don't be part of the 95. Like I'm part of the 5% that is like going to stay thin. And so I very much had this like superiority complex where it was like, I have self-control. I've exercised it like a muscle. I know how to do this. It is, it was all about control for me. It was all about, you know, this put down the fork, stuff so it was all about not eating and how cool it was to not have to eat and you have to remember like i grew up with somebody who struggled with a 10-year eating disorder and i still didn't see it for myself so it is not always like i think when we see people struggling with an eating disorder it seems so obvious and so out there and then like you said when we talk about disordered eating all of a sudden it's like well doesn't everyone struggle with that yeah and you realize like we're literally in negotiations constantly about the food we eat all I've learned from that is that any relationship that I have to like create negotiations and cheating in is probably not a healthy relationship. I wouldn't look at my marriage and be like, if I just have a cheat day, then I'll be happy in my marriage. Yet we do that with food. We're like, if I just have a cheat day, then I'm back to my, that's my healthy relationship. That's how I keep things balanced. And I'm like, I don't think that that might be Even just the
0: word, right? Yeah.
1: Like even just the word, it's like, it's not a positive
0: word. It's like, what are you really doing in your life? Like, are you just existing in like misery that you need something to, you know, cheat with, Yeah, you know, like that's how I mean. In my marriage, for like, just drawing that same analogy, like, I'd only want to cheat if, like, you know, I'm in this yeah. like misery, and then I just need to escape it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like and this is like, my healthy. Way this is my way of
1: having a healthy marriage. Is I just cheat on it every once in a while, just once a week, just on Saturdays. And so we hear that, and we're like, <laughs> that is the worst thing ever. And then you hear it for yourself about how you're going to cheat on your own self with the food you're eating. I I think we're in a toxic relationship with food. And I'm not saying this is shame anybody. I literally did this. So I understand, I think you just have to start looking through the world as a lens of like, what if we existed around food with a little bit more freedom? What if we trusted ourselves a little bit more? What if we listened to ourselves a little bit more? What if we had a better understanding of what our needs are? Before we started today, we, you and I were talking about hormones. And like years ago, I went to a, a specialist and we were talking about hormones and she was like, you're not eating enough. Your life is high stress. You need more fats in your diet to like feed your hormones. And here I was being like, oh, I thought I was like hormonally imbalanced. Cause like I gained 15 pounds and I just wanted to lose it. And she's like, yeah, you're actually like overworking your body and under eating. And this is what's causing like this imbalance in your body. And so And Sasha Exeter is another great person for this. She talks about being like her own personal chemist. So you, you come to learn your body. You come to know what Mm -hmm. feels good and what doesn't feel good. And you've, you've got to be the authority person on that. And like your trusted people that are in that, in that health bubble with you and like everyone else, you've got to just take it with a grain of salt and like, let it go. Being postpartum, it is one of the Hardest seasons of life because your body doesn't respond basically how you expect it to some people will have mm-hmm. a baby. there was a woman who had a baby like she's not dancing with stars right now. she had a baby two months after me, and she's like ripped abs back to work and I'm like, why do I still have this like belly overhang that I had four days postpartum and now I'm nine months postpartum and it's still here like. I cannot have the same story as somebody else because I am not that body. I am not that person. I had a very difficult pregnancy and maybe she had a really easy one. It doesn't matter what these things are. We're each individual own relationship and I've got to like work on that. I've got to work on who I am and not be so worried about how everyone else is working on theirs.
0: It's so true. Like, it's just that like no two people are the same. Right. And like, I think that and especially like when we grew up, mm-hmm. right, like that era, mm-hmm. of like the 90s and 2000s, it was like, that's the bench. Yeah. And like the fact is that everyone's different. Everyone's bodies are different. And like, thank God, there's conversations around hormones now. You yeah. know, because this was something that was just completely ignored for yeah. the longest time. Like
1: everyone, is are you different. getting a period? And so, then you're fine. That's the question you're asked. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I can go on and on about it because uh, anyway, like this is a whole conversation for another podcast, but. <gasps> I think that it's really interesting that you talk about this this thing that you thought that you could control, mm. right? Like it was like the one kind of like lever that you could control. It was within your control and you were looking for acceptance and you thought that like looking a certain way was the way to get it. But it was really like you having to work on your like self love mm. and your relationship with yourself, yeah. correct? Like that's what you kind of
1: realized, is it not? Yeah. I mean- we there are so many like there's self help books out there there's relationship books out there there's so much about like our love stories and romance stories and i think what i've really come to realize and what's difficult is like a lot of people will look and be like well you're in a great marriage now and you're going i'm like well i'm in a great marriage with myself and then i'm married but I, I just think that we're really missing the mark on so much because we have categorically made love a romance story. And then we've wondered why we're missing out on it for ourselves. We're like, I just don't love what I look like. I don't, I, don't, I am lacking that self-love. I'm lacking that motivation. I'm lacking that self-worth. And the reality is because we've been lacking showing up in that relationship, we put so much effort and a lot of sacrifice into loving our partners that way. And we fail to recognize why we're not feeling that for ourselves. And so one thing I've really recognized is like when I thought self-love, I thought it was going to be all feeling space. I thought it was going to be like, one day I'm going to look in the mirror. I'm going to be real happy with what I see. I'm going to feel confident. I'm going to feel amazing. I'm going to go out in the world. I'm going to have it all and I'm going to finally get there no matter what what my body looks like. The reality is I don't love what I look like most days. And that the love is the action. And same as it is with my marriage. I mean, I was talking yesterday to my husband because he took me out on a little date and I was like, I had butterflies in my stomach. It was so cute and nice. And you realize like the butterflies is the rarity. Like that's the one, that's the, that's the little peak moment that you're having. That is not the every single day. That is a a rare Mm. little spicy moment in time every day you show up for each other. How are you? How's your day going? What do you want to eat? Is your stomach okay? How did you sleep last night? You're helping them with their laundry. You're doing dishes after each other. You're tending to each other's needs in really real formative ways. And then we're like, I don't know why I don't love myself. Well, when's the last time you checked in? Like when's the last time you like checked in on like how you pooped, how you ate, how you slept, did all of these things. Where's your love in action? Stop romanticizing it stop waiting on this like feeling of love before you go and live the rest of your life. It might come and it might be a little bubble of a moment. It might be a little butterfly in the stomach. It might be a little spicy blip of time, but it is not the consistency in which I think we need to rely on. And we have to be intentional about it because the relationship with ourselves is the only one we guarantee for the rest of our lives. It's the only one that's going to be there. Everybody else is a variable. So we cannot have our love for ourselves hinged on somebody else. We cannot have it hinged on our mothers. We cannot have it hinged on our best friend. We cannot have it hinged on our partners and our love stories with them because not even about like splitting up and leaving, but like health crisis, all these different things, we have to recognize how serious it is that we take the relationship with ourselves as if it is the most important one of our lives. And maybe we don't take pictures of that. Maybe we don't put rings on our fingers for that and cut cakes for it, but it is very, very important. And I think we need to have way more conversations about that before we go into figuring out how to be a better partner and, you know, how to look after our bodies and do all of these exterior things that are going on. We got to check in with ourselves and we got to be real, real intentional about that before we do anything else. I could not
0: agree more. And I think like that parallels you draw to like how you treat the, your loved ones and how you show up for them. Why on earth is it not the norm to show up for yourself and Mm -hmm. like check in with yourself and, you know, do those things that bring you joy every single day, you know, like it's, it's so, so important. And for me personally, like you know, I always talk about my morning routine and like how it's like my sacred time. Like that's yeah. how I take care of yeah. myself. If I don't do that, then like I'm neglecting myself mm-hmm. and I've just gone into work like trying to look after the needs of everyone else, yeah. my business, like ya yeah, la di da, but like just uh, the foundation isn't there, you know? And if everything else crumbles and I don't have that like relationship with myself, then what happens? You know, like you're just kind of lost. No,
1: I I honestly was just podcasting with uh, a woman today named Brittany Noel and she was saying about how she calls it self-betrayal. And I was like, oh, that's good. And then we were talking about the fact that she was sharing a bit of her story, which really aligned with a lot of my story in in the fact that like you, you can die in a way that is not a physical sense. You can die in a mentally and emotional sense. And knowing that self-betrayal can lead to that kind of death makes you take it a little bit more seriously. And that was my story. I mean, I was doing anything I could to please other people, to make other people happy, to keep my marriage together, to keep my family together, this quote unquote, falling on the sword for the sake of everybody else, whether it be keeping myself thin in an unhealthy body or, you know, not, not being happy in a relationship that wasn't working or thinking that my kids weren't being impacted by these decisions ultimately was not a, that's not self-sacrifice. Like it may be in some regards, like I think when we say self-sacrifice, it sounds like honorable and commendable. And the reality was it was, it was what Brittany said. It's, it's self-betrayal and it was leading ultimately to the death of myself in, in one way or another.
0: So Sarah, like when you were in this place, right? Like where you were kind of like in the, the lowest Mm. point, I guess, how did you start nurturing that relationship with yourself? And I, you know, I want you to even get like specific if you can, because I'm sure that a lot of people are there, you know, have been there. And I think just seeing your journey go from there to where you are today is probably inspirational to a lot
1: of people. Yeah. I mean, what's, what's interesting is we see that a lot. We see people who are like talking about self-love and they, they talk reflectively about their, self hate and like how they bridge the gap in between. And I think I really did come out of the gate swinging being like, yeah, I am into the self love thing. And I want to be positive about my body. And that, that felt good for a moment, but wasn't entirely realistic either, because it really puts you in a different type of performance track. Like what happens when I don't love the way I look. What happens when my, you know, last year I was really hit with a blow. I mean, it felt like a real hit of a blow, but I was diagnosed with placenta previa and a couple other pregnancy complications. I was bleeding from 16 weeks on. So my ability to exercise was removed from me. My ability to have sex was removed from me to orgasm was removed from me. There is like, not fully, but there was like some caution to a lot of these things. And so I couldn't do more than like a casual walk around. So a lot of like my mental health helps were gone and then food, everything made me sick. So like my normal food routines were gone. So a lot of these like adopted narratives that I had around, like how I would love my body was now taken from me. And I slipped into a depression and then, you know, gave birth, everything's doing well, but I mean, I'm exhausted. My body is completely changed. And I'm like, what do I do with these feelings? So I kind of had to put myself into, it was okay to grieve. It's okay to grieve and to acknowledge the other side of feelings. The ultimate goal being that I just don't focus so much on that. And ultimately that I show up because I only get one shot at this life. We all do. And we really have a bit of destination type of mentality when we're like, I'm going to lose this much weight before I go on the vacation or I'll feel more confident in the bedroom when I get to this point. Or, you know, I want to look this way for my wedding. I want to be a size this for that. We create conditions in which we can live life, not realizing that life and time is not a guarantee at all and that it goes very, very quickly. So a lot of like that, that step between like the love and hate thing has been a lot of neutrality. It's been a lot of like effort to not think about my body so much, to not have it be such a big thing. For me, sometimes that's sharing it. I mean, when I seem to struggle in a certain arena of it, my best practice is to talk about that, is to open up that book about it, to read from that chapter. But I'll be real honest with you. If I'm going from like ground floor, the worst possible time of life and how I picked up from there was my greatest discomfort was in being alone. And I think a lot of people don't realize how much we entertain ourselves and keep ourselves busy from being alone. A lot of us don't know how to be alone. I got married out of my parents' house, and then I got divorced and moved back into my parents' house. And then I lived on my own for all of a year and a half before I you know, got married again. But the reality is through that process, I had to figure out what it was to be alone, what it was to not have a partner to talk to every day to have, I mean, my friends changed during that time. My only real relationships were my work ones, the people that I saw there and my family. And what would it be like to be alone in this world in a in a better sense of like being alone with yourself. And I was really, 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 really uncomfortable with that. And I don't think I realized how uncomfortable I was with it until I actually tried to do it. I had no idea what to do with myself. I didn't know what movies I liked. I didn't know what shows I liked. I didn't know what books I liked. I had no idea who I was. So like ground floor, was getting real uncomfortable with being with myself and figuring out what the hell I even wanted in the first place. And then from there came a lot of like unpacking why I felt shame about different things, what parts felt like I was holding back and, and kind of worked from there. But that ultimately was the starting point And to this day, my greatest challenge, because even now to be alone is like to pick up my phone and <laughs> struggling to like be alone, alone, it's a real practice, but I even listened to a podcast with Oprah and she talked about like that was her one of her most important things of advice was like before you ask the opinions of others to take a moment for yourself and like ask yourself what you think. And I was like, shit, I don't even buy a pair of shoes without asking my friends. Right. So that's that's like probably biggest processing tool that I'm I'm using right now and going through right now and have for the last like five years.
0: Honestly, it is such a good tip. And I was listening to Jay Shetty's book Mm -hmm. and it's called Think Like a Monk. And in it, like he talks about how most people lack the ability to just sit there with their thoughts, you know, and just like, why do you need people around you all the time? Mm. Like, you know, why can't you also be alone? And like for him, like he was talking about his journey when he had gone and followed the path of a monk. And like, you know, a lot of it was spending time alone and he had to kind of like figure out why it was that he couldn't be alone with his own thoughts. Mm. And you're so right. Like you have to, the same way that, you know, you, you nurture these like loving relationships or relationships in any way with people, you spend time with them. And yet we don't spend time with ourselves Mm. and our thoughts and we mute it out with phones and social media, texting people, whatever it is, you know, and we really need to learn to spend time alone and like get to know ourselves as well. So I think it's like a really valuable tip and
1: figure out what our, opinions are. That was my biggest thing that my therapist said. She's like, you're literally a sponge. Cause she would like ask my opinion on something. I'd say, well, so-and-so says this. And I I do agree with that. And I still struggle with this today. It's very easy for me to like understand and empathize or even adopt everybody else's opinions, which makes it a huge struggle for me to find my own. But the only way to find your own opinion or what you actually think about something is to like, get quiet with yourself. Right? So Mm -hmm. yeah I mean there's obviously a lot of different ways that people could take that because I think that there's like so much information on social media now and it can be hard to like find that quiet and find like what your opinion is but I've had to like I've had to really take a step back sometimes and be like is this actually my opinion or did I just read something that sounded really convincing on it and and take time to even like have those inner thoughts and debates and figure out what you think about things and what you think about life and like sometimes things are so polarizing, right? Like people want to just be like, Mm -hmm. oh, so because you accept your body, you're anti-plastic surgery. I'm like, but I'm not, but I've had to be like, why am I not? What is it about it that doesn't actually bother me? Or you know, when we talk about certain things that are like huge buzzworthy things, like, you know, beauty ideals and all the stuff. And I'm like, it just doesn't bother me. And I, I had to figure out why. I had to figure out why I was still okay with makeup, dyeing my hair, getting hair extensions, but also like, but I don't want to cut my stomach away. Like I, I'm not interested in getting a tummy tuck. Like why were these two things? And I'm not against that thing, but like, why do I have these opinions in the first place? And I think if you're going to show up, there's like two things you got to do is like one, be super willing to be wrong because you're going to do it a million times over. Yes. So you have to yes. be willing to be wrong. Sometimes you have to be willing to also change your mind sometimes and learn as you, you know, change your mind as new information comes about. But I think we have this idea that like to form an opinion or to be a certain person means that you are stuck with that forever. And I'm like, I, I have left up all my old, like body shaming, weight loss posts, everything as horrifying as they are to read because I love that I get to actually watch the evolution of somebody, watch somebody change their mind, watch somebody go from their wrong moments and then reflect back on them and be like, I think that was the wrong decision. And instead of feeling shame or canceled or anything over that, recognizing the evolution of one person. And that came from spending a lot of time on oneself to find out what they actually wanted, not what just everybody else wanted for them.
0: I think that is such a powerful statement that you've made. And I couldn't agree more because, you know, I think like even in my growth journey, like being okay with knowing that like I've evolved and like maybe now I'm okay with something that I thought that I was just like, it was a no for me, you know, and just like a no or like, yes. And now it's like a no, you know, and this is just how human beings evolve. Mm -hmm. And like, as you get new information, like I remember when I was younger, I was like, I am so against plastic surgery. Mm -hmm. Like I, I just cannot even believe Mm -hmm. like what on earth. Mm -hmm. And like, now I'm like, as I've kind of gotten more information, sat with it. It was like, why, why am I so judgmental? Mm -hmm. You know, like, why Why do I I care about what somebody else is
1: doing with their body? Why do I? Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Like, why the fuck do I care? Mm -hmm. Like, why do I even have an opinion there? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you sit with these thoughts and you dismantle it. And now I'm like, no, like it doesn't really bother me, you know, and like I'm, I'm fine with it. Yeah, you, you
1: know what I mean. Like, and it's, it's yeah. like that for so much. And like the gray matter in between, like, why am I so pro body autonomy but so anti making a decision for yourself? Like, that is the same thing. A hundred. I also think like. I just don't want to be a part of a shame cycle for anybody. I don't want to be participating in anything that brings shame to people because shame doesn't work. You can't shame people into, like I was part of the shame cycle when it was like comes to weight loss. It was all about like self-control and the fact that I had it and other people must not. And shame doesn't help anybody. It just creates more problems. So if somebody gets plastic surgery, even if you don't agree with it, creating shame around that doesn't help them. Maybe they made that decision in a very difficult time of their life. Maybe they made it in a positive one, but if they made it in a, in a time and they later regret it, you know what they need is support, not shame. And you know, if they actually are really cool with their decision and that is like, they're totally positive about it, have no regrets whatsoever. It's also not your place to create shame. It's also just our place to like understand that that person has their body and make their choice in it. And I've had to like really come to like understand that even though i'm like fighting internally against watching people you know alter themselves into something that doesn't even feel realistic anymore and constantly face tuning and constantly changing. I'm like, it just doesn't make sense to me to go after the low hanging fruit on a very large tree of systemic issues that revolve around what a woman looks like. If your whole life you've been told that what you look like is the most important thing about you, then we're going to shame women and make it their problem that they actually bought into that. I'm not here for that. I'm here for the tree. I'm here to go after the reasons why we think this in the first place, why I thought weight loss was going to solve all my life's problems. Why did I buy into this whole thing? It's like, was it was it a me thing or was it something bigger? Was I just the fruit of something quite like huge and then the roots that go deep into that which are generational, they're huge, they're big and I just don't think that going after women in a patriarchal society like this makes any sense
0: to me. So, so powerful. So you recently had Lemmy and going through a postpartum journey. I I mean, I've I've not been through one, but I can imagine it being extremely complicated with Mm -hmm. all the messaging that's out there. There's a lot of pressure to Mm -hmm. quote unquote bounce back. So after you had Lemmy, what was that journey like for you? Like, did you feel yourself kind of going back to where you were? Like, did you have any moments of like struggling with your body? Like where were you at after this whole journey?
1: Yeah. I think it was, I think it was very interesting to have both that awareness of how damaging some of those thoughts are and then also simultaneously be having them. So it was a bit complex, right? Cause here I am, like I've been a voice in this and now I'm sitting at the largest size I have in the last, uh, I, I don't even know how many years, like since my weight loss and, and nothing to the same degree or anything, but just what the, what the body changes like through pregnancy and to postpartum is very drastic for a lot of us. And it happens so quickly. So you go yeah. from this ultimately praised, adored body, then you give birth and it's like, oh my gosh, this is so magical. I can't believe my body did this. Like, look at this squish, look at this beautiful body that is like literally transformed overnight and then about like the four week mark, you're like, all right, well, that squish isn't getting cute. <laughs> I still have it. And why is it still hanging over my pants? And I remember saying to my husband, like, I don't get it. Like I literally have this like Joey sack of like a kangaroo pouch hanging over. I've never had this with any of the other kids. And he's like, yeah, you know, you had like a whole human in there, right? Like, you know, there was like an entire body inside that skin. And I'm like, you're right. You're right. You're right. So it was just like, what do I do with this? This is a lot. It's, I mean, I had a podcast with Lauren from skinny confidential and she was like, it's an identity crisis. You do feel Mm -hmm. like you knew who you were. You go through this change and all of a sudden it's like, okay, there is this big part of me that is my body that I did recognize as me. And I don't recognize that person. And that is creating complications in my mind. It's hiccuping me. I found, I found myself, getting problematic when I started witnessing myself going out into the hallway to change clothes. Cause I was embarrassed in front of my own husband who I grew his damn child in my body. Like for Pete's sake, he can like, he can handle and he's never made a comment. Like for the, yeah. all the years I've been with him, he's never made a comment on my body. So I was like, this is maybe worse than I thought. I'm being really sneaky. I'm feeling really ashamed and I'm struggling. And I I actually just had to sit down and be like, don't positive your way out of this, sit down and grieve and have these conversations, be real about it, but ultimately still show up. Like don't miss out on summer. Don't miss out on your kids' lives. Don't stop showing up on the gram. Don't stop wearing bikinis. And I was like, if I can do that, then it's okay that I'm having all these feelings because the feelings before stopped me from living my life and the feelings now I'm aware of them. They're there. I acknowledge that they exist. And I'm allowing, like, you know, there's that, there's that notion of like your first thought, second thought. My first thought is I'm really struggling with my body. My second thought is, yeah, but I'm still going and doing the things. So I'm really just owning the second thought and understanding that the first thought is there because of a whole lot of other things that maybe are not my fault and are just the way of the world. And I'm not proud of it, but I've definitely had to uh, mute certain people on social media that had babies around the same time that look exactly like they did before the whole process began and struggled with that, struggled with that comparison and had to exit my way out of it. Take a, take a breather from that and uh, just focus on myself and how I could show up more and more. And if showing up meant being really weird and vulnerable ways. I mean, I, I sent my, my best friend and I had babies two weeks apart and uh, these are her first, she had twins. So that was her first and I just was like watching her go through it was like knowing what you're going through. I'm going through it for the fourth time. She's doing it for the first time. And you're like, I know the grief you're going through. I know what's happening and just like having to witness it and be there for her. So I would just try and like mitigate it as much as possible. And one day I just was like, she said something about struggling with her body. And I just like showed her in my leggings. I rolled them down and I like shook my belly. And I was like, yep, I'm with you. Like, I'm here with you. You're not alone in this. And I sent it to her in a text and she was like, thank you. That actually made me feel so much better. And I took that video and I uploaded it on TikTok and Instagram and like collectively has like over 10 million views. And people were like, I like, I have the exact same body. So even me all these years later and all these moments later of being like, I feel alone in this. And I feel like everybody else got their quote unquote body back like immediately. And here I am like stuck with this new one just to be validated in the experience of, oh no, there's a lot of us that have a longer process or a process of never really going back. There is no bounce back. It's only bounce forward. And like, we're just as worthy to be here and we're going to have fun with it. We're going to do our best with it. And we're going to grieve. We're going to laugh. We're going to cry. We're going to have gratitude and grief all at the same time.
0: I mean, you know, it's, it's really interesting. And I think yours is probably the only example of like a postpartum body that I've seen that isn't necessarily like mm-hmm. bounce back with like abs, you mm-hmm. know. And I think it's a really powerful thing to see. Like I'm not mm-hmm. like I, I'm not pregnant, but mm-hmm. it, if I have a child in the future, to have this point of reference to, to be like, okay, yeah. like everyone's journey is different, and yeah, you know, it's the variables talk, of it, right? Yeah, exactly. And we, we've talked about like how every body is different, but like every postpartum journey isn't yeah. shown to be different. Yeah. And I feel like it's like this is the new thing that like it's not it's not shown like the the different kind of cases aren't shown. So mm-hmm. I think it's it's amazing that you're sharing it and so powerful and helping so many people. So, you know, I think, thank you for, from women collectively.
1: (laughs) And if I can just say for like everyone pregnant or not, or ever having a baby or not, the way we respond to a postpartum body is like really important because I would say the hardest part of this last nine months, if I'm talking about it from a body centric position has not been what I look like or what somebody else looks like. It's the validation I'm seeing other people get in their journey of, oh my gosh, you look like you never had a baby or like you couldn't even tell you were pregnant or girl, where did you get those abs? Like, tell me what you did postpartum as if it is like some sort of like ranking as a woman or as a mother. And I think the less body comments that we can make, the better. We all will be because that woman, we have no idea what she went through. We have no idea where she's at. We have no idea how she's struggling or not, if she has disordered eating or not, or if her body is genetically predisposed to something. Same with me, me witnessing those comments. It's not a great story for me either. Cause it makes me feel like my body is not as valid my body is not as good. I'm not as well. And we both are. We are both completely valid in our experiences. We all are valid. And I think it's important that we understand that there, like you said, there is a, there is variables in what postpartum can look like so that women are not brought into it in this shock and awe scenario where they're like, okay, I understand there might be different outcomes for this. And now I have acknowledgement of like anticipation and understanding that it's going to look like how it's going to look like for me. And that might not mirror somebody else's experience or it might exactly. And there it's all different ways for all different folks.
0: Sarah, this has been a joy and I'm so excited for everyone to listen to this. Tell everyone where they can find you.
1: I mean, my wheelhouse is the bird's papaya on Instagram, mostly on in my stories. I'm a the, I'm the big story girl. And uh, other, other than that, we've got the podcast, at uh, the papaya podcast. And yeah, my blog, everything. If you come to Instagram, you're going to find it all. So just head on there. That's where you're going to find everything else. So the bird's papaya.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at sifhider. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday, so come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people. Learn and unlearn and have a lot of fun. See you next week.